welcome to episode 407 of Marijuana Today and uh, some unknown number of uh, The Green Rush because this is, uh, we're, we're running this as a crossover episode uh, right from the go because I am speaking with my good friend, Lewis Goldberg, who is the host and producer and just uh, I, whatever the, the, the one of the people who comes up with the whole thing and runs it uh, is, that is Lewis. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was I a am just another bozo out. on the bus, man. <laughs> poorly thought out introduction, Lewis. I apologize for that, but it's, it's that kind of show. So welcome. It's a poorly thought out show. Excellent. That's my, that's what I like to be a part of something that is completely poorly thought out. Yeah. Well, you know, every now and then, uh, you know, we, we run one of these shows and when I'm involved, uh, it's usually like, we're just kind of flying by the sea of our pants, but, uh, so that's what we're doing today. Excellent. Well, I've, I've been looking forward to this since you invited me. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know what number the show is on the green rush. It, you know, we're, probably approaching 200. Um, and I am not the host. I am one of the hosts, but Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich are the regular hosts since I stepped away. I should say founding, um, a founding host. That's, that's a good title. I am a founding host. Uh, a, yes, a, definitely. A, a host emeritus. Is that the <laughs> yes, right terminology on there? <laughs> I love that. I'm totally, I'll, I'll take that. I like that. Title. All right, cool. Host emeritus. Yes. Yeah. It means I'm like an eminence grease. <laughs> Yeah, so our uh, our assignment was uh, to just kind of come up with a handful of things that we each want to talk about, and we're just kind of going to ping pong around uh, around those things and uh, see if we can fill an hour of time. Um, yeah, so let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, do you want to start? Do you want me to start? I would love to. Um, so here's my topic that I want to talk about. It's the 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 for for the investment community the challenge that early stage investors in cannabis and early stage investors in psychedelics have in drawing a distinction between the two industries. Um, because cannabis at its core, while it was started as a medical movement, always had an agenda of becoming a consumer packaged goods play or a straight up retail play. Whereas psychedelics where there's a lot of been a lot of uh, energy been focused on the decrim side, really at its core is pretty much a pure play pharma and biotech play, and people don't seem to get that. They think that at some point, sometime soon, they will walk into a dispensary and buy a, you know a couple grams of mushrooms or a couple of pills of MDMA, and in reality, that's not happening, possibly ever. So that dissonance, in my mind, is what has been a real disincentive for investors, whether they be retail or institutional investors, to invest in psychedelics the same way that they have invested in cannabis. Um, and, you know, that's just my take. I don't know what you're thinking, um, but I spend all day thinking about this and, you know, literally, you know, doing public relations and investor relations um, in cannabis and psychedelics and lots of other industries. But but these are the two that are nearest and dearest to my heart. This is what I've been thinking about. So you come out of it from the advocacy background, right? You as a founder of SSDP, you know, uh, and that's for all drugs, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, not just cannabis policy. You know, I know that your background is drug policy. What do you think about the difference between psychedelics and cannabis? 
Well, it's the, I mean, the experiences, the two experiences are so different. They're so drastically different that like, I guess, you know, whenever I've been thinking about legal psychedelics, it's, it's never been that, oh, psychedelics is going to follow the cannabis model and people are going to be, you know, getting, drinking psychedelic tea and, you know, cafes. Cause like, I mean, it's like, <laughs> like those people, have they used the drugs that they're talking about? Like, it's like when you use mushrooms or when you use your MDMA, like it's a whole day experience that is a full on experience that can turn into like a out of the world, out of like slip of like time space experience. You know, it's like I, I've, I've had very over the line trips with psychedelics and I've definitely taken way too much cannabis in the terms of like edibles, you know, a couple points in my twenties and they are very different experiences. You know, like, like when I, I, you know, when I was 20 at college, we had a Thanksgiving where everything was infused. So like everyone just ended up being like, like stupidly high and I ended up couch locked, you know, like I, I was stuck to the couch and I, I, you know, it was basically like, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be able to get up. And when I've taken too many psychedelics, I've literally lost the ability to maintain time and space. And, and, and I can't understand why I'm also not six months ago in, in 400 miles away. Like I can't grasp that, that, like that distinction breaks down. And like, yeah. So like, why would you think that illegal psychedelics is, you know, like, like industry is going to look anything like cannabis, um, you know, and, and, even MDMA, like, I mean, MDMA is like, you know, it's a, it's a different drug experience than like, you know, like a, like mushrooms. Um, but still it's a very intense experience. Um, yeah. Well, so, and then there's things like Ibogaine, which is being, you know, being researched in, to treat opioid addiction and has been shown to be unbelievably effective. That's a 24 hour experience. You know, an LSD experience for the most part is between eight and 12 hours, right? A psilocybin or mushroom experience is like four to six hours. MDMA is four to six hours. Ibogaine is a, is a day, like a day. You know, this is something that has to be done under the care of a medical provider. And, you know, when people are thinking about what's going on in the legal psychedelic space, they, they, are, they are mistaking it for what is going on in the cannabis space. You know, there are now, you know, more than a handful of companies that are worth billions of dollars that are selling, growing, you know, producing cannabis products and then selling them through their own stores. That's a huge market, but it's a, a market that if you are 21, you can go in and buy a joint or buy flour or buy a vape pen or edibles or whatever. The thesis of the psychedelic industry is this is a medicalized product. It's like going in to get a uh, a kidney infusion. If you have um, uh, you know renal problems, you can go to a clinic. You know the same way that there is this growing number of ketamine clinics. These are going to be medical products that are delivered through a medical establishment, and uh, you know the the Reddit community doesn't seem to get it. They just want to be able to go out into the woods and trip. And there's nothing wrong with that. What is wrong with that is to think about how this industry is going to grow, be packaged and marketed. It's much more like the TV commercials that you're seeing for, you know, drugs on every television show and go talk to your doctor. It's not how you see Budweiser 
you know, promoted on TV. It's, it's just different. And that's, I think a real problem in how some of the conversations are taking place amongst the average person, not amongst the people who are doing the, you know, the drug development research, but that's just me. Well, I think, I think that like, it feels like the educate, like societal education on the medicinal value of psychedelics is going to come swiftly once it actually becomes legal. You know, like once actually people have direct experiences with it and they can say, oh, my aunt Sally, you know, like took went to an MDMA clinic and cured her PTSD or whatever. Um, Next you know, year. That's when, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's. I mean, that's like how it happened with medical year. marijuana, you know, like everyone knows someone who used it or they use it themselves. And like, that's how, I mean, that's how you change people's minds is like, you know, people are, I mean, I mean, not people are kind of like, you know, they don't really care about people outside of their own sphere. And once, you know, something happens in their sphere, then it becomes real. So that's, you know, that's what it, I, I think needs to happen. Um, I agree with you. Um, and I think, I also think there's a big difference from a political perspective uh, about cannabis and psychedelics. Cannabis, for the most part, has been viewed um, at the federal level as a liberal issue. Psychedelics is really a bipartisan issue. You have people, almost equal numbers of people on the right and the left who are in favor of the use of psychedelics from a medical perspective because of its impact on treating PTSD. You know, if you look at maps, um, which is the the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies? Um, you know they're doing all of the research on using MDMA for PTSD. Everybody thinks of PTSD as as mostly affecting soldiers, and the right has totally adopted this. Um, and Maps's donations come from a lot of people on the right. There is tremendous legislative support on the right, but the reality is on the left. Um, the majority of people who suffer from PTSD are women who have suffered some sort of sexual assault. Um, and the, this is an area that both the left and the right meet regularly to promote. And the likelihood is that the FDA will approve MDMA next year for the treatment of PTSD. And that will potentially set off a cascade of legislative action um, around psychedelics that we will not see in terms of cannabis, um, I think cannabis is right fucked from a legislative perspective for the next few years, um, maybe as much as six. Um, but I think psychedelics, the future has never been brighter. Well, it, it's also harder to you know demonize people you know getting therapy you know over someone going to you know dispensary and buying some joints getting high and you know I mean there you know the stereotypes for stoners have been you know written for for decades so you know that's. That's that's an easy book to draw from, but you know, people getting, yeah, therapy for their PTSD is you know it's harder. That's harder to 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 kind of demonize. So um, I think you're probably right. And yeah, I, I like it when I'm told that I'm right. By the way, it's not it's not it's not uh, it's not a usual occurrence. <laughs> How big is the psychedelics industry? Like you know, compared to the cannabis Today industry or potential? Or potential, yeah. I mean, it, it's. I mean, I okay. know the. I mean, I know like the wellness. Uh, I mean, it's like you know, hundred billion plus. No, no, like, no. This is not. No, 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 no. So at its at its um, at its uh, uh, potential, they it is assumed that cannabis will be between a hundred and a hundred and twenty five billion dollars annually, globally, right? At its potential. 
psychedelics could be a $1 trillion a year industry. Because it's carving out so, look, uh, uh, the pharmaceutical space? Yeah, so yeah. if you look at the top 20 drugs that are sold around the world, five of them are used to treat things like depression or anxiety, addiction, OCD, stuff like that. And their cumulative annual revenue is around a trillion dollars. That's so, a crazy number. <laughs> like, Well, think about it. How many people do you know who take Paxil or who take Adderall or who take um, uh, um, you know, Valium or any of these other drugs? They, they, they treat the symptom. They don't treat the disease and this really it's a sense it's disease can be broken into its component parts of dis-ease what psychedelics do is go and allow the patient to treat with therapy you know the underlying cause that address the trauma that let them develop those behavior problems and fundamentally most of these behavior problems all express themselves differently and similarly. There is not a fundamental difference for somebody who is addicted to alcohol or methamphetamines or pornography or gambling and the biological expression of depression. They are very similar. And the reality is that what psychedelics do is allows for a pause, a halt, and a reframing of the person who is taking them in a therapeutic setting, not just going off into the forest and having a wonderful experience, but in a therapeutic setting to, to get healthy, right? To, to, to literally potentially fix themselves. So, you know, the, the, the market opportunity for psychedelics dwarfs the market opportunity for cannabis. Yeah, by a large factor. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And the reality is if you – the bummer about what's happened with cannabis is when you started working in this space, it was people who were talking about treating patients. I need cannabis because I have pain from chemotherapy. I don't have an appetite. I have – real anxiety. I have all of these other symptoms. And because of the federal illegality of it, there hasn't been enough real research done. So it moved away from medicine and into Budweiser. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's a great thing. People should be able to, to use these things the way they want to. I'd like to know what the real impact of TCH, THC is on glaucoma or anxiety or anything but that there's such little research being done and it's amazing that that guys like rick doblin have been able to get the fda and the dea to allow real research to be done using psychedelics so this may be marijuana today but we're talking about psychedelics right now also psychedelics tomorrow that sounds good i like it that's right i like it that's awesome um, yeah, it's cool shit, man. I mean, yeah, I, 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 this is what I get to do for a living, which is like the coolest thing ever. I love that. This is what I talk about and think about and, and get to do. Um, all right, that's actually a good segue because, uh, my first thing was, uh, on my list of things to talk about is I would like to hear about how you ended up, uh, in, in PR and like, like actually like your <laughs> like career path. Um, cause I haven't okay. heard that and I'm just like, you know, how did, how did, you know, 20 year old Lewis get to, to, to old man Lewis now. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll, I'll tell that story. Um, so young Lewis, 
was, grew up in, in um, Tenafly, New Jersey, uh, which is a suburb of New York City. And my father grew up dirt poor in the Bronx oh, and his father. Oh, wait, sorry. Can I interrupt you real quick? Can we yeah, yeah. quickly tell the story about how I, in, uh, I introduced you to your cousin? <laughs> Remember? Um, well, um, my, my friend David. How you introduced me. Like, 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 basically, I was like, oh, hey, you should meet my friend David. And we met, and you guys like, oh, we're cousins. Remember David Freiliger? Remember we we had oh we got, yes yeah oh my god like that was like oh, such no. an awesome like like that was like a mind blowing thing like you just started when you started talking about your family I'm like I remember that story so like let's let's leave that's with on my that. mom's side but I, I actually you know what Shay you tell that story because I want to hear it from your side first <laughs> all right well so uh, I mean generally like. I've always like, you know, try to like, you know, if I, if I, if I have friends from like, oh, they could do something cool together, maybe whatever. I'm like, oh, you know, you should know my, you should get to know my friend. Uh, you know, I'm throwing an introduction. And, um, so when I was going to New York city for whatever reason, um, I thought, oh, my, my friend David Freilicker, uh, was kind of looking for, he's kind of doing a career transition. And, um, I was like, oh, maybe he, you know, he'd want to know someone in, in, um, um, in, uh, cannabis because he, uh, David has a, uh, like a really deep background in advertising. He was like one of, he was a big, big league, you know, advertising executive. I forget the company, but one of the big ones. Um, and so, yeah, so I put an introduction for email and I don't think we can, we, you guys can, made connected the dots that you were related until we we're actually sitting down in like a coffee shop in New York city. And I forget who said what, but you're like, wait, wait, aren't we, you're, you're David, you're Lewis. Like your mom is like my, like aunt, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. And the connection so, his, was made and so David's father was my mom's cousin. <laughs> and, and we don't know each other. We didn't grow up knowing each other, but it was just like this. It's literally, there's a thing called Jewish geography. This was like the actual version of Jewish geography because like there's like three Jews in the world and we're all related <laughs> to each other. So, and if you're in the New York City metropolitan area, like we're literally all related. Um, and his, his family was from Connecticut. My mom grew up in Florida and then moved up here. It's just small world. So... Um, but this does fit because growing up, I, you know, I realize I'm Jewish. I live in the United States. This is the greatest country in literally the history of the world to be Jewish. It is the safest place ever. And I have a responsibility to give back. And I wanted to get involved with politics. And I did. I eventually got to work for President Clinton as an advanced person. I was then eventually hired as the state press secretary for U.S. Senator Robert Torricelli in New Jersey, and I loved the the press part of working for Bob Torricelli, and I hated the politics. I just wasn't good at it. I just wasn't – I didn't – at that time in my, my mid-20s, I was so deeply uncomfortable in my own skin that I didn't know how to – manipulate or work the, 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 the political world, but I was really good at talking to reporters. Um, and a friend of a, a friend of mine got me an interview at a PR firm in New York city. Um, and I had an interview. It went, well, I literally had a fuck you. I quit. Fuck you. You're fired moment with the Senator who was really not nice person. Um, <laughs> I also wasn't, that's I, great. I mean, I'm glad yeah, but 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 I also wasn't doing my best work. Like I, I wasn't I wasn't ready to be me yet. Uh, I got the job at the PR firm. I met my wife, who uh, I'm married to twenty 
years and a half, 20 and a half years. Um, and stayed at that firm for a little bit, got poached by .com in 2000, worked for the .com. Uh, it went out of business, but I really got very good, really, really good at PR. Got hired by another firm, um, worked there for five years. Um, I got burnt out. Uh, I got fired, uh, again, because I wasn't doing my best work. I got hired um, as a senior account executive or account director, I don't remember, at KCSA, and I've been here now for 18 years. Um, I, uh, you know, I run the public relations division. We have an investor relations division. In 2014, I started our cannabis practice. We had the opportunity to work with an applicant for uh, one of the first licenses in, in New York State for a medical um, license to grow, produce, and distribute. And I really learned the vertical nature of the industry. Like I had always been a consumer. Like I liked to smoke. But I didn't understand the business of cannabis. And when I worked with this applicant, my mind was blown. Like, I didn't understand logistics and security and the financial services component of this. And I was just like, holy cow, there's an opportunity. Because at that time, there were no public relations firms or investor relations firms doing traditional financial services PR. And I turned to my business partners and said, guys, we have an opportunity here. So we got in. We jumped in two feet, didn't look back, worked with most of the, the big MSOs. Um, a couple years later, I read Michael Pollan's book, uh, How to Change You Know How to Change Your Mind. My mind was blown again. And I said to my partners, hey, this is the next big thing. We need to get involved in the psychedelic space. And we've been in the psychedelic space since 17 or 18. Um, and, and we, you know, we feel a responsibility to tell the stories of these companies in a way that educates the public, supports the the company, but also supports the industry. Um, because f since 1970, 72, no, 70, when, the, when Nixon passed the Controlled Substance Act, you know, we've had a war on drugs and we've lost 50 years of research meaning that millions of people have been wrongly incarcerated, mostly people of color, and tens of millions of patients haven't had access to medicines, whether they be cannabis or psychedelics, that can help treat their problems. And I, you know, that, that sense of responsibility I had as a kid to make the country better flows through to why we work in cannabis and psychedelics. Like I really feel a sense of responsibility to make sure that these companies are able to get their products through FDA approval. And I, I have nothing to do with that, but I get to tell those stories and speak to the investor community so that there's money to let these companies grow and, and provide treatments to patients who need them. So that's my story, long story short, and I'm sticking with it. Do you, uh, do you get stressed up by running a company as large as KCSA is? Uh, I mean, because you guys will have like 50 plus? 80 people. 80 people, yeah. I mean, that's like... Like, I mean, I, I am very, very, very entrepreneurial, but like, I know I am not good at like, I, I just, I, I don't have it in me to like run a big organization. Like I like, you know, like I could I definitely run something small, but like an 80, like that just sounds terrifying. Like just the, I guess the pressure. Well, I don't run KCSA. Like, no, no, I know that, but, but you know, you're one of the, you're one of the people at the top. I mean, so you have, you do definitely have yes. people that you, you know, responsibilities for and like just the, the, you have. Yeah. So, um, so, so it's a very, I could not do this. 
alone. I don't do this alone. And that's the best part of this. Like I have two partners in Jeffrey Goldberger and Todd Fromer. Each of us have different roles. You know, Jeffrey is the chief operating officer, right? His job, while he does client service and he he's an investor relations professional, is really the day-to-day management of staffing and making sure that the accounts have the right number of team members and like all of the, the detail nitty gritty that keeps, keeps us running. Todd's job is the financial side of this. He also works on clients and brings in new business. And so does Jeffrey. Um, but his job is to keep the eye, keep his eye on the money to make sure that we are a profitable, uh, well-managed financial organization. And my job is sales, client service, team management, but also I'm the one who thinks of where are we going? Like I'm the one who has the bigger ideas on like what's the industry, the next industry that we want to be in? How do we tell really good stories for our clients? So at, at, at the core, my job is chief storyteller, which is something that is, speaks to my skills. And the three of us work really well together. We stick in our lanes, but we are also unbelievably respectful of each other. And yeah, there are times that we'll argue or disagree, but for the most part, you know, we take each other's thoughts and feelings into consideration. We put each other in positions to succeed and support each other where we are weakest. And it's really, it's, it's, it's a unbelievably, I'm lucky to have these guys as my partners and to consider them as my friends. But, but most importantly, while they are my friends, we're business partners first and that always comes first. So for you, Shay, I, you know, finding somebody that you can lean on that is a peer is the, is the best way to grow because what you're really good at, very few people can do what you do, but you can't do everything. And to try and do it all, it's like, it's a, that's a recipe for failure. If it would be for me, I couldn't run KCSA by myself. I wouldn't want to. Yeah, no, totally. Um, w- yeah, with, uh, with my, you know, with the podcasting thing, like when I was actually focused on like trying to make that like, you know, like a, like a, a, a you know, a, a, trying to grow it and make it a bigger thing, you know, like, cause like my idea, like my ideal company to run would be like, under like 10 people or less really. Um, um, I just, there was a, just like, I couldn't quite get things together. Like it got, you know, it was, pr- it was successful to a level that was very, you know, like healthy and it was good and everything, but I just couldn't get it to that point where like I could justify bringing another person in. And like, it was just, it was, there was always just like, it, 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 it's hard. It's hard as shit to, to, to start something. And, um, but I, I think with, uh, with this new thing that I'm doing with developing this land into a glamp ground and farm and homestead. Um, I, I mean, I'm definitely like, I, I mean, I, I have, I have the resources to have a team, you know? So like we have a super awesome, uh, company that, uh, d- that is, is basically doing all of the design and building for like all the things that we need built, you know, cause you know, I'm, I'm handy enough, but I don't actually know how to like build stuff. Um, you know, the, to the level that we want. Um, so yeah, so I got, uh, you yeah, know, so when we come up this summer, um, I don't want to fall through the floor. No, it's not going to be a Homer Simpson, um, uh, deck, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's like, like 
Well, it was funny because, uh, the, you know, we're going through the, just the, the process with these guys, just, you know, like, like them getting to know what we want to do, like all the different things that we need to be built. And I hadn't really thought about like how you could make a deck cool. Like I really, like, as we're talking through everything, I was really just like, oh, you know, we'll, and we'll need a deck, you know, like in my mind, like, you know, a, a deck. Um, and they ended up coming up with this like amazingly awesome, uh, like small modular fractal, uh, like decking solution that is going to like save us like a crap ton of money on like building an installation. And that is going to look like beautiful. And like, is like, it was, I was just like, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. These guys are like really good at their job and they're going to like design everything. Well, you know, like everything is going to be designed for the reason. So, um, so like, I'm super psyched about that. Uh, but yeah, like I have, you know, like I've I just lots of other people that, you know, um, you know, I have a septic person now, <laughs> you know, I have, uh, actually I found a, that's a really shitty job. It, it is. Yeah. It's a, you be number one or two Sorry, bad bad dad uh, joke uh, you know what it's like you don't hey, want to be number three keep coming yeah I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah um yeah i have, a, I have an environmental scientist me. no i'm not going to because i know you keep going and they just get worse <laughs> <laughs> thank god we have a septic guy for the jokes yeah uh but no like i'm actually like i this work that i'm doing is like I, it's, it's the best best work I've ever done. And I'm like really good at it. Um, so it's just, it's, that's like a, it's, I mean, I think you, you know, like, like when you're, when you can do really awesome, good work and it's like your best work, then that's a, that's a good, good, good feeling. And it's not work, you know, it's becomes passion. Yeah. It it really is not. And most of the time that whole saying, like, you know, if you love what you do, it's, it's not work is bullshit. But like when you really hit it, it's that, then it becomes true. A hundred percent. And there are moments like I have a job, right? I get up, uh, I go downstairs and I go to work, right? Like I'm not going into the city anymore, which is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't miss that three hours of commuting every day. I mean, it was, it was soul sucking. Um, but like there are days where I'm like, shit, it's a job and I got to deal with it. But most days I love who I work with. Like the people who work with me, I'm so lucky to work with so many of these people. Like there are people who are really good at their jobs. They're passionate. They're fun. They're nice. Like I have such a great team that I get to work with. I love the clients that I get to talk to. I love the media. Like I'm just lucky. Like I really feel grateful and I get paid a good, good wage. Like I make good money and you know, I literally, I wake up every day and I, and, um, I have a really robust gratitude practice and it also helps me, you know, like I wake up the fair, my first intentional thought is to list three things that I'm grateful for. And my last intentional thought every night is what are the three things I'm grateful for? Um, and it's really, it, it helps also shape how I meet the day and end the day. And it's been, Something I'm, you know, it's like the gratitude is a fucking great thing, man. It's, it's, it's like, and, and yeah, that's, yeah. How, how's your luck been with, uh, dream jobs throughout your life? Like how many dream, like separate distinct dream jobs do you think you've had? You know, and, uh, you know, a job could be like, you know, like one of my dream jobs is like I coach, uh, the local, like a local Frisbee team. Uh, I don't make any money off it, but, but I, I, it's a program and I'm in control of it and it's awesome and it's big and robust. And that's definitely one of my dream jobs. So like, you know, things like that would count. 
I would actually say I've had zero luck with dream jobs and unbelievable luck with serendipitous jobs. Um, like I really, like I had this intention when I was a kid to be in politics. Like I wanted to be the president. Um, and I've no way, no, thank you. No way. But you know, I got to work, you know, for a U.S. Senator as his press secretary in New Jersey. That in part was a dream job and it was miserable. How old were you? It was, uh, 27. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's um, a dope job for a 27 year old. I mean, it's yeah, a dope it job a for anyone, cool but job. like, you know, yeah, in your yeah, late 20s, I, I that's also, an awesome I, place First of all, I didn't make any money, but I don't know if it was the job or it was me, right? But that was not the right job for me. Um, I, I This is the right job for me. Like, I really think every day that there is no other job that I am better suited for than doing what I do. I get to learn every day. I get to be doing something different and not the same thing. Like I don't make a widget, right? I'm not punching out a stamp every day in a factory. Like I, I get to use my mind, my creativity. Um, I, 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 this is my, my ideal dream job. Um, and I didn't choose it. It chose me. And I, and for a long time I, I fought it. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to surrender to this and just let it take me where it's going to go. And that's in large part what I'm, I'm, I've just decided is like I have an intention in my life, which is to be present, but I don't have an intention in my life as to where to go. I'm going to just let it take me there, right? And where I go is where I'm supposed to be. That's a good place to get to mentally. Um, hello, dog. <laughs> hello, Molly. What? Molly, that's so, right. Yep. Yeah. What and kind of dog is Molly? Well, she's Molly is a, a fourteen and a half year old Wheaton Terrier. Okay, that's awesome. So uh, Molly, so for anybody who's been listening to either the Green Rush or to Marijuana Today for any extended period of time, has heard Molly <laughs> bark, 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 bark. <laughs> oh my God! And can, she's now at the it. point where she's. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it drove me nuts, and it was really painful. Um, she's got dementia now, so, you know, she doesn't really bark anymore. She just goes from dog bed to dog bed in the house and falls. finds a different spot to sleep and hates closed doors. So if you're in a room with a closed door, she will be in there and then sleep, which is what she's doing. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm, I'm, I imagine she's got a pretty good dog life, so. She had, I don't know. If it's a good dog life or not, she's she's not at the point where we're looking at her going, you think it's time? Like, because that's going to happen. Like, you know, when you have yep. a dog, there comes that point where if it hasn't gotten hit by a car, you're going to have to decide, is that time? It's not that time yet. I just uh, I just got a dog in July. Ooh, or actually, well, she was born in July. I got there in September. Um, so Border Collie named Sophie. Um, like smart as a, smart as a whip, right? Oh my God. So she's the, not only like the, she's, she's so smart, so, like so ridiculously smart. Um, she's also the most athletic creature I've ever seen. Um, like, cause like you, we, we go, we go to this land, you know, 50 acres of land and we, you know, go and do work and, you know, and do stuff. And, and 
I will just, you know, kind of walk down the trail and, and she's just like sprint, 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 sprint. She just like is sprinting laps everywhere. And this land is like, is hilly and like, you know, pretty, you know, it's, it's not just flat. So she's like sprinting up like straight up hills and like, it's like, like the big spaces in between her bounds. And she's like, kind of like, I'm like, how did she get through those bushes? But she just did. And like, she's like a ninja. She's like a dog ninja. Um, so does she try and herd any like the equipment? Uh, You're in the wrong spot. Move over here. Yeah, no, she, I mean, I have two cats and she definitely likes like, Border Collie stalks them a little bit, but is, is pretty respectful. I, I'm hope, hoping to actually teach her how to herd animals. Like once we get some animals on the land, um, I, I'm, I'm, if all things go well, I should be actually moving on to the land this summer. And then like, once I'm actually there, then I'm getting animals. So I'm going to teach her how to herd the goats and the chickens. And are you open to an idea? Uh, I'm always open ideas. How about if you made a TikTok account just for the border collie showing her, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Cause there no, are so I, many I, people who follow just dogs and as a marketing tool for, for your glamping site, having her be the, the, um, you know, like the spokesperson would be really cool. I, um, th that is one thing that I, I haven't really fully reconciled how it would, how it's going to work actually. Cause like I, I, th I think, you know, like I, I have a, I have a deep seated fundamental opposition to social media and TikTok. I think is like, I totally get the, the appeal to it. And, and, and like, you know, like if I wasn't against it, I would be watching it a shit ton. Um, but like, I just, I, I don't want like, I want to try to be the glamp ground that doesn't have an account. You know, people will, can, can post it when they're there, but like, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe my partners are going to argue me out of that. Um, and I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm open to it cause I'm not, not king of the full king of the hill. I am I not on but, any social know. media anymore. That's I, I'm completely off of social media. hundred percent. You yep. can't find me on social. I was, I used to be king social. Uh, me too. Yeah. And it was so unhealthy for me. Um, it, it caused me anxiety and angst and depression and it just was unhealthy. And I said, uh, no more. I can't do this anymore. And I walked away from all of it. Facebook, I have a profile on LinkedIn, which I check maybe every six months. But other than that, I'm not on anything and I don't miss it at all. Occasionally, like my wife will show me videos on TikTok, dog videos on TikTok, and they're great. And other than that, I have no interaction and I literally don't miss it for a second. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like I, I was always re perfectly happy on social media. Like I always had good positive experiences because like I'm a, I'm like a sharer by nature. Like I'm, you know, like, like if, if you're my friend, like I have to like hold myself back to be like, Oh, Hey, check out this funny thing that I, you might, you might think is cool. Like, so when I had like Twitter and when I had Facebook, like that's what I would do, you know, like, and, and you know, like I'm, I, I, I think I have a pretty good eye for curation. So like, I, I like to think that the stuff that I, you know, shared was actually good. It wasn't just like, you know, Facebook memes. Um, uh, I mean, some Facebook memes, but was it just like, it wasn't just like the stereotypical, blah, you know, that, that is just up there. Um, but anyways, uh, and when Trump won, um, uh, I, I, I actually, I, I was like, I, I do not want my 10,000, uh, Twitter history up. Like, like politics seems to be going in a dark place. I just, I don't want that record. I'm going to cancel my account. Uh, so I did. And I came to the realization that like, because of just the way Facebook works is like, 
none of the two, I don't know, three or 400 friends, like none of those people actually like the, the, the relationships that we Care had like, about you. Yeah. Like, like, well, cause what ended up happening is I stopped using it. Uh, um, uh, I, I, I got divorced and I'm like, I just stopped using it for all of a sudden. And the only person who noticed and called was my, my sweet aunt Nancy who, who noticed and called me. And besides that, not one person in the world did. And, and that's, it, it's, I don't hold it against anyone. It's because the, the Facebook algorithm, you just, you, you wouldn't notice, like you would not notice. Um, and yeah, and so I was like, I All right, think well. social media is isolating. It, you think it is about ultimately connection, but the experience is I am doing something and I'm doing it by myself. And it is it is isolating. It is not connection. This is connection. You and I are on Zoom. We're looking at each other. We're having a conversation and we're talking and you can hear me. You can see me. You can like, and even if we weren't on video, we would also be just on audio. This is connection. Social media is not connection. It is fake and it is incent it is incented and designed to keep you on it for as long as possible and to keep you feeling like shit. I don't want to feel like shit. I want to be with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with my community, with my clients. I want to be with them. I don't want to just look at them from a distance. That's not healthy. That's not how we that's not how human animals interact because we're animals right like we weren't born with a phone in our hand we were born next to each other yeah well and and i also recognize too like because the thing i did like about social media is having a platform you know because like i i do like you know i like i like saying things and and having people listen obviously <laughs> you got this mic in front of you right yeah. now but with 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 facebook with twitter with platforms like that if you can't control your and own your platform you don't own you don't own your your thing if you're at the the you know if you're the future of your company is it could change because facebook makes an algorithm change or bans your page then you don't really have a stable business um you know that's one of the things i liked about podcasting because like with podcasting you make an audio file you put it on a website and you put out the feed and people can listen to it and you own your shit you know i mean obviously there's you know there's there's predatory po you know podcast networks that can, you know, like can, can pull you in and, you know, not saying that, that, that doesn't happen, but as far as we're not talking about Spotify at all, I promise you, this is not an <laughs> issue with Spotify. No, but, but it's, it's possible to own, completely own a podcast, you know, to own all the things of your podcast. Um, so that's, that's what, one of the things I liked about podcasting and yeah, one of the re reasons why I, I was just I like, love ah, it. fuck Facebook. You know, it's funny. I, um, through you actually, Partially, it's like, so you and I know each other through Chris Crane, right? Chris, who is the found, one of the founders of Forefront, just a awesome guy. He introduced us and you took over production of our podcast three years ago, right? And through you and he, I met Adam Smith, who has become a, a, a friend of mine. And the three of us have, you know, kicked around an idea of doing a podcast called uh, three Jews who are Mets fans. Um, <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> you know, because, you know, we're, we're all Mets fans. We all live in different parts of the world. Like I live in New Jersey. Chris lives in Chicago. Adam's, uh, you know, up in Oregon. And we text during the Mets games, like all the time. It's really fun, right? And nobody would listen to it, but I think we'd have a good time doing it. Like just bullshitting about the Mets. And that's one of the things I love about podcasting as well. It's like... Nobody's telling me what I can or can't say. 
I'm not um, censoring myself. I'm just talking with you. And, and if somebody listens and it resonates, awesome. If somebody listens and they get pissed off, I also awesome. Like we would get every now and then hate mail at the Green Rush. I loved that. Like, it means somebody was paying attention. But if nobody listens, I'm still talking to you and having a good time. Like, I'm enjoying the hell out of this. Um, one of the one of the things I want to do once I get a little bit more established onto the land, because we're going to, um, eventually we're going to build, like, an actual, like, proper, like, like recording studio um, where you can record, like, sound or music or whatever. But I'm definitely going to actually get, like, my my, my studio space, uh, like, just in a, in a nice situation. Um, and I want to get... Um, do you remember I started a podcast uh, years ago uh, called Don't Listen to My Podcast? Um, so that's the name of it. Don't listen to my podcast. I have, I think it's don't listen to my podcast.com. And the whole premise, uh, I've done like seven episodes. Um, and it's, it's, I can promise you, I haven't listened. Yeah, well, it's it's great because yeah, so you listened, uh, so you listened to my advice. Uh, so no, it's basically like, hey, listen, this is don't listen to my podcast. Uh, I have uh, the show with no premise, no makes no promises. Uh, you know, like I don't, you're not supposed to be listening to this, so like I don't care what you think. If you have a problem with this, like you, you're listening to something you shouldn't be listening to, like, um, and just having having that like that attitude from the start. Uh, yeah, I've only done like seven episodes, and actually probably like the first three to four is just like me freaking out about the pandemic because it was right around the <laughs> pandemic. So I'd just be like, oh my fucking God. Like, and everything I said came true. I mean, it was like, no, um, no, 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 not even close. Uh, I mean, a lot of it, dude, I mean, like we just passed the million dollar, a million person death mark. Like, you know, I mean, people might, yes. you know, can like pretend it didn't happen, but like a million but, people but, but died. The, but the entire supply chain didn't break down. We didn't go into lawless anarchy. Like no, no, I no, remember no, no, how I, no, How no, I, nuts you were. Yeah, well, I've like I I that did not happen true. Um, but uh like the underlying 80% of what I thought was gonna happen happened. And and the last 20% we didn't get there. You know, I mean, and and it, it, and it wasn't like and it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I this I didn't think, oh, this is where we're heading. Uh, but the op the chance for that happening all of a sudden became like possible. So that's what I was. Yeah, it went from about. zero to you know sixty seventy percent. Yeah, like, yeah, like that, like, could, like that could have happened. Like had we not gotten the vaccines, had we oh, not yeah. gotten the 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 you know the antiviral drugs, if Mike Pence had gone into the car, I mean, like we be we came within a hair's breadth of of losing everything, you know, um, January sixth. I mean, by a number of on a number of cases, like a number of people, you know. I mean, so like, yeah, I. I as as the the all the details of of Trump's coup have come out, like I've definitely felt really good about all the prep, like the crazy prep that I went through. I'm like, oh, I yeah, I'm, I feel pretty good about having 400 pounds of flour. I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh my god, you better start using it because it's gonna go bad. Oh no, it's it's uh, it, it, my flour is definitely at the point where it's bad. Um, but I have a plan for it. I have a good plan for it. Um, do you know what a Hergel? Uh, it's I think it's Hergel culture. Um, in gardening, 
Uh, so it's the idea where you 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 build a mound that is at the core, like a bunch of wood. So, you know, you could stack up like, you know, like just old wood you have around. Uh, Christmas trees, like I made one in my yard with Christmas trees. The core of it's like old wood that's going to like break down and decompose. Then you throw like compost, you know, like old food scraps, like whatever on top of that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, dirt on top of that. And then you plant stuff on, on it. And uh, over the years, uh, you know, the, the dirt inside breaks down and as, acts like a sponge, uh, you know, just like you know, for, for nutrients and for water. And it's a really productive growing ground. Um, so I have a couple, I've like, well, I've one, one main space at the land that I have primed for my 400 pounds of flour and all the other things that, uh, that I have, uh, expired, uh, now, but I did a pretty good job of getting things that have, you know, good, good long expirations. Oh, I bought I bought a ton of stuff. I bought a mobile um, solar battery system. I bought a, a water um, filtration. Like I, I I spent I spent a couple thousand, maybe five thousand dollars worth of of stuff, um, and we still have it. Like the food, it's good to is, have. Yeah. We've eaten the, yeah, like we still we we've eaten the the flour. We had a, we had a hundred pounds of flour. We had. 50 pounds or 100 pounds of rice like we've eaten through that because we didn't want it to go bad but the other stuff like I don't have a gun but I have um, pepper spray guns um, I bought shit and I'm gonna keep it like I'm not getting rid of it because I don't believe that there is a 0% chance that shit still can't go south it's not where it was but it's not zero well That's also I mean sure. just you know hurricanes happen you know, like there's lots of things that, that, that can happen that being a crazy prepper is actually like, you know, like, oh, I got some things. I'm not going to suffer as much as I would. Yeah, I'm not a crazy prepper, I, but I am also not a crazy unprepper. Yeah, no, like, I'm, I, not I, I'm definitely a crazy prepper. So that's what I was. Um, yeah. I'm yes. A crazy prepper. <laughs> how, how much weed do you have stored? Uh, um, metric tons. Um, <laughs> like zero metric tons, but metric tons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, well, I got 50 acres of land and I think, think, uh, um, like I have a, me- a medical card here in Maine and I think, um, I think I can grow up to like 20, 24 plants, like, you know, big outdoor plants. Like that's, that's well more than, than, you know, I could ever need. So, um, so that, that'll be my, my weed store. Excellent. So you have any more questions on your list? Um, let's see. So we got a couple more minutes. Uh, yeah, I, let's uh, because we only have a few more minutes. I just and I'm, this is the thing I'm most excited about. Top of mind, um, I so I run uh, Ultimate Frisbee Team um, for uh, kids. So I have uh, from the eighth grade down in the town of Falmouth, Maine. So Falmouth, Maine has about twelve thousand people. A little kind of uh, you know well-to-do suburb just north of Portland, Maine. And I took it over nine years ago in its second year of operations. And like most things that I do, I kind of went a little bit crazy on it. So um, I, I kind of treat it like a, like a minor league baseball team, kind of how I think, you know, like we have like, we have a brand, we have mascots, you know, we have flashy uniforms every year, you know, like we're the team that like when we step out in the other teams, they have like, you know, you know, shirts that say, pennies. Uh, yeah, pennies or like, you know, town of whatever. And, okay. and have you have seen like, the Savannah bananas? 
Oh, yes, totally. I absolutely, just over the, the past few weeks, I've seen the Savannah Bananas, and I love them. And we're, we're I mean, we, I mean, we, it's a little bit different, but we kind of have the same energy. Like, you know, I mean, it's a little bit different, but yeah, Savannah Bananas, for anyone who hasn't heard, should check it out. It's a great minor league baseball team in, where are they? Georgia. Savannah, Georgia, so- yeah. Um, and they're just like, they're, they're like the, the owner like really embraces just being crazy and having fun. And they're like some Harlem Globetrotter energy, you know, it's like amazing. everything's banana it's amazing. And yellow and yeah. And so yeah. if you are on social media, go look, look up their TikTok or look up their Instagram feeds. It's just like, I, again, I look at it on my wife's phone um, and it is just pure joy. And if not, just go on YouTube and go Google Savannah Bananas. Um, so the only reason I ask is I was hoping you're going to tell me that you could have your girls um, like do like Savannah Bananas style, like touchdown dances when you score. <laughs> no, no, we no, we pretty much. Uh, well, um, we I would say like I, I just I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit intense, you know, and so like, you know, in a good way, because um, ultimate Frisbee is a special sport. But, you know, like I I kids can like, kids can learn a lot, you know? And so like, you know, I have my, I, I, I'm coaching my fourth graders, you know, like pretty technical stuff. So like they learn a lot of technical things about, uh, about ultimate Frisbee. And so, you know, fourth through eighth grade and, you know, like the, those kids are running sprints, you know, we're practicing four days a week, you know, we roll up in these awesome, crazy uniforms. I get an artist every year, uh, to create a custom artwork piece, uh, f- for our uniforms. So every year for the past six years, we, it's, they're like, they're like anime comic style. So we introduce a new character. All the previous year's characters are on the back and they're fighting, they're basically fighting a battle. And, and the next year, the previous year's character has seen the light and has joined the team and is now fighting the new character. Um, this year, because it's, you know, COVID and stuff, um, I just, we have all the characters on the front, uh, kind of comic book style, you know, flying out of, uh, into the frame, uh, with this like sweet, uh, fire Phoenix on the back. And it's just, it's the bad, most badass thing. And, um, I got to introduce, I'll, I'll well, I'll show you the graphics. I mean, I'll, I'll send you uh, cause our Frisbee has that too. So I can send you some Frisbees. Um, oh, but I got, yeah. I got, cause Nathan, my 15 year old will just about flip. He loves Frisbee. Yeah, totally. I, well, so I got to introduce a new character last year. We didn't produce a jersey because of COVID, but we did a, produce a custom a new a new disc. And uh, so we have uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, so I, I told my artist to turn Dr. Fauci into an owl, and right. uh, and I, I it, it's a Zoom call with all the other characters, and I said make Dr. Fauci look like he's just completely done with everyone's bullshit and he my artist uh, john just nailed it it's like it's great it's it's actually the it's fauci's like the in the graphic with that owl it's it's like fauci's real office so it has like you know like he's like a mets fan i think he has like a mets jersey in the background or a mets hat or something like that i think um you gotta send him one um, yeah, no, I've, I've definitely, it's been on, it's like on my list of like, oh, I should do that. And I just, I've never, I've never done it. So, um, yeah. Um, well, uh, so Lewis, we're actually, we're, we're, we're out of time. So, uh, that, that is going to wrap this special crossover episode of marijuana today in the green rush. We'll call it uh marijuana rush and, and green day. No green today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, green, green <laughs> today. Cause if we call it green, green day, we're going to get sued. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't want to do that. Uh, so, no. um, cool. Well, th- uh, thank you for the hour of your time. This is, uh, this has been awesome. And, uh, um, thanks man. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I will do it again soon. Yeah. Let's do it again soon. Beautiful. Awesome. Th- thanks right. Shay. 
One take, Shay. One take.